0: What if, what if God were one of us? Just a disheveled dude like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. As a typical stop on the route that day, his feet touched the curb with not a word to say. He shuffled along 20 paces before us. We drop back not to make a fuss. What would you see if you walked behind divinity? And what if I told you he walked with a limp and with a lean to one side? Would you then think less of me? Would you think that I'd lied? Uh, but it's the truth as we ponder a strange story. The limp and the lean are actually God's glory. I'd like to talk uh, about the lopsided God. Uh, the lopsided God and the anti- Lamech, Jesus. Uh, If I were to kind of rehearse my development in thinking about God into pre-seminary days, seminary days, and post-seminary days, it would go something like this. In pre-seminary days, I kind of thought about God and his characteristics, his character, as separate kinds of things. You know, his holiness... was his holiness and his love was his love and his righteousness was his righteousness and his justice was his justice and so on and so forth. And then I came to seminary. Ah, I, I loved my seminary days. I took so many courses and I audited so many courses, I couldn't get enough and one of the things i learned in seminary about god that radically changed my thinking about god was was that god these these characteristics were not separate they were all interplaying and all contingent and that his attributes were hyphenated not bifurcated that he is lovingly righteous and righteously loving Etc. Etc. Oh! Oh! Wow! It's like the light bulbs came on. And over the course of my post seminary days, of which professors are only people who are students that linger on and never really graduate, professor. In those days, I've come to yet another kind of aha moment in my understanding of God. And and that is that the attributes of God are not evenly distributed. Originally, my Venn diagram all looked even. They all intersected evenly. And and at the core, was God in a a hyphenated kind of way. But over the years, I've kind of realized, no, I got it wrong. And, And several, a number of texts in Scripture have challenged me to that extent. But I want to take you... Uh, in our thinking this morning to the text of Exodus 34, one of my favorites uh, for developing this concept. And I thought to myself, well, how can you communicate lopsidedness? The lopsided God. Oh, by the way, if you say, how can he possibly be lopsided? God? God is perfect. I'll tell you this. God is perfectly lopsided. <laughs> okay. That was a slick answer. But what what... Conjures up a picture of lopsidedness. And I I thought, oh, this does a pretty good job. (laughs) I'm hoping that the the animal was not hurt in this photography. But the text of Exodus 34 comes at a juncture in time where Israel has entered into covenant with Yahweh and, and Moses is up the mountain and he comes back down and he's, he's just freshly chiseled out that part about no other gods and comes back down and finds them worshiping other gods and involved in the, uh, the kind of sexual ways of worshiping other gods. Someone has said that it is kind of like going on your honeymoon and and your lover finds another lover during the honeymoon. And obviously, the covenant is uh, trashed, smashed. And Moses thinks it's done for. He comes to God and starts wrestling through that question. And God says, no, I'm, I'm going to go on with you. At which point, Moses says, Who are you, Yahweh? I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are amongst the ancient Near Eastern gods. What kind of a god would do this? What is your glory? What is your kavod? What is heavier weighty about you that you would do this sort of thing? Show me who you are. And we get the beautiful, beautiful portrait that unfolds in Exodus chapter 34. And you know, you kind of think, I got, got, God says, well, you know, stay back and I'm going to show you, uh, I can't even show you my whole glory. I'm just going to show you my backside. All you get to see are the back of my Levi's cross in front of you. It is my, my less concentrated communication of who I am. And God parades his glory in front of Moses. Kavon, what is heavy, weighty, important, significant about God to a people who desperately need forgiveness. How are you going to go on with this kind of a people? And, and <laughs> we find that, that uh, you know, you think it, it would... Because, because Moses comes down the mountain afterwards and he's got this luminous display, you know? You think the whole thing would be this beautiful, luminous kind of Niagara Falls display... And yes, there is some kind of luminous thing going on in the text. But that, that is only to envelop. That is only to give uh, uh, an extra accentuation to not what is seen, but what is heard. And, and the hearing is the name of Yahweh and his reputation, and his character, and who he is. That is his true kavod, his true glory, his true weightedness. And he tells Moses, stand behind the rock, and, and in front, maybe some kind of luminous thing, but he hears something, and really we don't get a description so much of the luminous as what is heard. I, Yahweh, I, Yahweh, am, I, Yahweh, am compassionate, I, I, I am gracious, I am long of nose, literally, I'm slow to anger, I don't snort quickly like the bulls. I'm slow to anger. I am abounding in chesed love. And I am faithful. I'm solid, reliable. I'm a forgiving God. Passionate, gracious, low to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness and forgiveness and forgiveness, not even the the low-handed sins, but the high-handed sins of rebellion against me. I can forgive that. Moses is asking, who are you? That you would go with us still. That you would somehow forgive us. And and Yahweh says this, But, but, ah, here. (laughs) But I will not leave the guilty unpunished. Six warm fuzzies, and if you do a word study on some of them, uh, um, compassion is related to the, the womb tenderness, like compassion. These are soft, gentle things. But I will not leave the guilty unpunished. A lopsided God? I think so. I think so. But then, uh, we we also notice that he, he says, I am these things to the thousandth generation. I am all of these things to the thousandth generation, but I'm only this to the third or fourth generation. Now, if you want to do the mathematics in a literal way, if you wish to do that, we're looking at a lopsidedness of 250 to one. But I would posit that uh, some kind of literalness is not intended, especially with the word one thousand. For Yahweh owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I think he probably owns far beyond that. And so the point is that Yahweh is radically in this direction. Though he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he still infers justice. But justice is, justice in pursuit of punishment, injustice is not weighted. The same way. Hmm. Earlier, uh, earlier in the pages of Genesis, we bump into a very mean guy. He's kind of bent on revenge, and his name is Lamech. Uh, he and Lamech says this, uh, says to his two wives. Adah and Zillah, listen to me, ladies. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. How would you like to go on a date with this guy? (laughs) He says to them this. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, Lamech, Seventy-seven times. Seven-plus times. Down the pages of Scripture, there comes on the scene a very perplexing figure. A figure who is bent on something, but it doesn't seem to be revenge. seems to be bent on forgiveness. And his name is Jesus. He's a perplexing figure because he he says things like this. You have heard it said of old, even in Torah. You have heard it said of old to hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies. And oh, by the way, forgive them. And if you're thinking about forgiveness, it's not Lamech and his numbers. Think of not 70 plus 7, think of 70 times 7. In our home, we've lived with some unusual moments. I have a son who has a degenerative brain disease, and uh, up until a certain point, he was a polite, gentle person. And uh, much like dementia and how that hits uh, older people, it hit my son at an age of his teen years. And he would bless our home with morning greetings of a middle finger and F.U., Yes, there were lots of FUs in our home. <laughs> and uh, uh, we, we struggled for the longest time of how to, how to work redemptively with this thing, knowing that there was really no guilt involved. It was an issue of degenerative brain disease. and So eventually we came up with this, for lack of things to do. We, would, we said, you know, John, in our home... The F word means I love you, and uh, guess what? I give you two fingers back to your one finger. I love you twice as much. And John would fiddle with his fingers and start working, yeah, you know, and uh, he would give us four. I would I give you ten fingers. I love you ten ways, and then he'd run out of fingers. You see, and uh, his cognitive degeneration was about a grade school level. So at that time. So, uh, and that time he start chuckling, the thing would blow away. Yeah. And, and it is kind of like Jesus, and many commentators will say that in terms of what Jesus was doing in that text, that he's probably intentionally playing on the, the Lamech thing and saying, my kingdom is not like this, my kingdom is not bent on revenge, my kingdom is bent on forgiveness. Yahweh, what is your glory? Ah. All the things on the on the one side flow into forgiveness times a thousand generations. Jesus plays with the anti Lemic scenario. I got to tell you, forgiving people is hard work. I kind of know that because I know that professors struggle with forgiveness. Um, For most of my ministry, I have always been pleasantly received. I've been in ministry for 25 years. And I can't say that I have taken spears and daggers and arrows out of me. I've almost always had a wonderful experience. And I hear these stories of... Uh, uh, of uh, all kinds of ages of people in ministry who who get beat up and killed. And, and professors who get that, too. And I think, well, I n- never really experienced that, although it must be true. And, and then two or three years ago, I got beat up and dumped. And I got to say, I I... There's a spot in the 401 when I'm traveling from here to Tyndale and and it gets off to that particular ministry and every time I pass that spot on the 401, I struggle. Because I feel things. And I I pray and I ask God to forgive. Forgive me for any retained anger. Forgive me, forgive those people who have hurt me because they don't know even have a clue what they did. Yeah. Forgiveness is hard work, and I will do that every time I pass that spot on the 401 until I, don't, until I can just pass it and pray, praise and celebration. My heart is no longer ripped. I also know that forgiveness is hard work because it's hard work for pastors. I uh, got the opportunity to speak in San Diego during uh, February. Ooh, who would turn that down? (laughs) And it was at the National Pastors Conference, and... uh, uh, yeah, okay, okay. All I got to speak to were four or five hundred people at a time. I did. I wasn't one of the main speakers who spoke to thousands. Uh, eventually, I got over that because I got to hear some wonderful speakers at the plenary sessions. You know, mine, I wasn't double booked for that, and uh, it was it was wonderful because I went to one session. And you would know the particular person, but I'm not going to use it because it will skew the illustration. Your mind will go elsewhere. But this particular person talked to pastors, you know, several thousand pastors in a room. And the whole thing was on forgiveness. And he did a brilliant move because he did the whole sermon while walking around, you know, walking around with a cart. A shopping cart and uh, while he was pushing the shopping cart around you know he would he talked to his audience about forgiveness and he talked about this person in his church and that person in his church and he all whoa he was you know he was bleeding from this and bleeding from that and he said in ministry you're really dying not from the big wounds you die from the 1,000 paper cuts you know <laughs> the death slow death of 1,000 paper cuts you know how i know that forgiveness is hard work for pastors because there wasn't a dry eye in the place i was crying they were everybody was crying because we all in ministry if you've been in it long enough and maybe it takes you a few years like me to really get hurt uh, you will be. It's almost guaranteed. And what he had us to do was to take out a piece of paper and write write the name of someone you're struggling with and, and having a hard time forgiving and put it on that piece of paper and throw it into the cart that he pushed around to. He talked about, I don't know, I don't know if he was going to send it off to the desert or something. I, don't know. I forget quite where it went. But uh, here are all these pastors, you know, and they're all in, in here. You know? They're all in tears, and they're taking these pieces of paper, and they're crumpling up, and they're throwing in the, like, like a slam dunk into the, <laughs> into the tank of this, this push cart. Professors struggle with forgiveness, and uh, pastors struggle with forgiveness. Forgiveness is is hard work, hard work. I love love, uh, pictures of old people. I love watching old people walk down the street because often when they do so, they limp or lean in some way. You know, I I guess the depiction is classic. But you watch, and and they're often not, there is not an equilibrium there. There's an unbalance in the way they walk. And and when when I see that, when I see that, I'm often reminded of our God, our lopsided God our lopsidedly loving and forgiving God, especially in the lives of elderly people who I know are beautifully kind and gentle. And forgiveness clothes them with a beauty that is profound and weighty. It is a glory that far outstrips the deceptive beauty of our culture and what our culture craves, the kind of beauty that is found on the unblemished supermodels who walk the strident runways of Europe. What if God was one of us, just a stranger on a bus, trying to make his way home? What would he look like, perhaps, you would notice that his heel, the heels of his shoes are not quite the same size, that he walks along in a contorted and lopsided manner, that his shoulders are heavily slanted and not evenly balanced. But don't be surprised. Such is his true glory, his inner beauty, as he walks within our broken world. I kind of think, I kind of think that to the extent that we walk like our God walks, with a lopsided disposition towards love and forgiveness, to that extent, we too reflect the glory of our God. Let's stand for prayer. Father, the, the portraits of you in Scripture are powerful. Uh, we thank you that you're willing to walk with us uh, even when we've sinned and followed, fallen, even when we are rebellious against you. And uh, you stand out in an ancient or eastern world. Your glory is different than the glory of the other gods. Help us, especially who are entering ministry, who are involved in ministry or perhaps have a legacy in ministry, to walk in that lopsided way too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.